Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Last week we talked about living passionately to be fully alive and to start really living, fully living. And the greatest risk is not risking. That's what we talked about last week. So let's go for it. Let's take the risk because it's worth it. John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So whether your life stinks or whether your life is pretty good right now, God wants you to have a better life, to be fully alive, because that's how he designed you. He made us to live abundantly. So here's the deal. To be fully alive and to really live, you must choose Jesus Christ. There is no other way to the truly abundant life. You have to invite God into your life. And it's your choice. And it's something that only you can do. Nobody can do it for you. At the end of this message today, I'm I'm going to give you the opportunity to walk down one of these aisles and invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life as your Lord and Savior. To do that is to live. To do that is to live a quality of life now that's far beyond anything you could imagine and to live eternally with the Lord. So the greatest risk is not risking at all. Trusting Jesus is the greatest decision you could ever make. The second greatest risk is in loving. Loving people. You've got to be willing to take risk or you won't... You won't spend your life loving people because sometimes it can be very challenging. But it's in our DNA. We are to love. God is love. And God made us to love. God called us to love. This month at the Simple Church, our off-campus church, is just doing great, by the way. And our church, we are challenging our people to live a no-regrets life to live with the thought in their minds that what if this happened to be the last month they lived on this earth? How would you live? What would you do if you knew that you had one month to live? I've told you for years that ultimately all that will matter to you will be relationships. That the bottom line in life is faith, family, and friends. And if you really knew that you were counting the days until your death, I really believe that you would be looking for ways to build bridges, to heal relationships, to spend time with close friends, and to give quality time to those two most important relationships, your relationship with God and with your family. And so I hope you're taking that daily challenge doing those things that you would do if, you were, if this were your last month, saying those things you would say. 
George Bush after 9-11, as you well know, his life, Laura's life, was greatly impacted by 9-11 as it's impacted all of our lives. But every day, they leave a message for their daughters. Every day since 9-11. The message they leave, this is our call to tell you, number one, we love you. And number two, we love you. See, that's the kind of life we're talking about. Because 9-11 made them realize how quickly things can change and how quickly death can come. And you need to say what you want to say while you have the opportunity to say it. You, you want to live a no regrets life because we don't know what's around the curve. We do not know what will happen next. And, and our example is Jesus because he knew when he had just 30 days to live. He knew when his life would end. Listen to what he says in John 13. It was the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew that his end, it was time. Having loved his own who were in the world, his, his life was to love, to love people, all people, to love his close friends, to love completely. He now showed them the full extent of his love. If you had 30 days to live, would you want to show your love completely? Would you want to focus on relationships and express the love in your heart for those closest to you to say the things that you need to say, to do the things that you want to do? The reason we're placed on this earth is to love and be loved. And the only reason we can love, love completely is because God loved us first. And it's only, only when we receive God's love can we reach out and love others? Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples in a very simple but powerful way, and that's what he, he washed their feet. He washed their feet. Amazing, amazing humility. And, and you know what you'll discover is that little things make the big difference in life. Little things make the big, big difference in relationships. You can do just a little change and it will, something minor and it can change that whole relationship. If you do the little things daily for one another in those relationships, it makes the big difference because we're not living until we're loving. Jesus summed up the whole Bible in two verses when he said, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Life should be simple. Love God first and then love others like you love yourself. How simple can it get? How more profound can it be? To live is to love. And when, when you get to the end of your life, my friend, it, it does not matter how much money you made or you're going to leave it all behind. When you, you, they bury a rich man, somebody says, how much did he leave? All of it. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how many awards you've won or how many goals you've achieved. None of that matters. When it comes to the end of life, only two things ultimately matter when you die, and that is, did you love God with your whole heart, and did you love the people in your life? Nothing is more important. So what would you do if you had one month to live? How would you change the way of your life? 
If you really knew that you were getting ready to meet God tomorrow, next week, at the end of the month, what would you do? I think you would focus on relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends. Because if, if, if you want to succeed in your spiritual life, love completely. Love God with your whole heart. If you want to succeed in your marriage life, love completely. Succeed in your family, love completely. Succeed in, in your business and in in the world out there, love completely. And when I talk about love, I'm not talking about a syrupy feeling. You know, love is a feeling that you feel when you feel like you got a feeling like you never felt before. I'm not talking about that kind of feeling. An itching sensation around the heart that you can't scratch, you know. Um, but I'm talking about love is a choice. Love is a verb. Love is an act. It's something you do. And you live your life out of love. So do you choose to love and to show that love? You men, listen up, because it's hard for some men to say. It was hard for my daddy to tell me I lived most of my life. That just before dad died, he told me he loved me for the first time. Oh, he loved me as much as a dad could love a child, but he couldn't say those words, and yet I needed to hear those words. And man, I promise you, your kids need to hear those words, I love you. And you can't say it too often. Simply can't say it too often. So who do you need to say, I love you to? What do you need to do that you would want to do if you knew that it was going to be over for you? How would you show your love? And you know what I believe? Love isn't love until it's given away. Love isn't love until it's given away. And God says love completely. Mount Everest, and you see the mountain climbers behind me back there. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall. How many have ever climbed Mount Everest? Just, just <laughs> nobody here. Well, if you ever climb it, I'm going to give you some good information that, that you need to know because it's over 29,000 feet tall. But when you get to 26,200 feet, there is what's called the death zone. And that means that this is an area that's unable to sustain human life. That the, the oxygen is so low that the body, the human body cannot acclimate itself to that low level of oxygen. And so they're going to die. And so you have to get through that death zone rather rapidly or you will die. It happened in May of 2006 that these climbers were climbing through the death zone. And one of the climbers that had an accident was having a problem. And they left him in the death zone. And they went ahead to climb to ascend to the summit, the top of the mountain. And of course, when they returned, the man was dead. Not long after that tragedy, uh, another climber, his name was Lincoln Hall. He also got in trouble in the death zone. And he was left by the climbers who were climbing on. But it happened that there, were, it was a, there was a group of climbers that when they found him in the death zone, they stopped. They made a decision not to climb to the top. They made a decision of love and compassion. And they 
stayed with that man and they got him down the mountain and he fully recovered. Now, now what is the difference in, here is one man who is left to, to die actually in the death zone and other climbers came by but they thought that somebody, he was with another group and that they knew it and he was, would be rescued and they walked on by. And then it's the ones he was climbing with who climbed onto the summit and he, and he died there compared with the other man that was helped. The difference is unselfishness. See, we can't love completely if we're selfish. We can't give the love others need from us if we're selfish. Here was unselfish teamwork, and they did what they wanted to do from their hearts. Because I'm telling you, think about it. If you'd climbed up 26,250 feet, it would be hard not going to the top, right? I mean, because it's... I'm. I'm told it's not, it's not very easy to get that far up. Now, if you're there, this close, but greater than the desire to reach that top was to help someone in trouble and to get that person safely down the mountain. Let me tell you, if we're going to love completely, we have to give up personal agendas. We have to give up our selfishness. Because we can't build lasting relationships. And the only thing that's going to matter eternally will be relationships. The only thing that matters in this life really is relationships. But we can't build great relationships with our own selfish agendas. To love completely, we have to love with the power of love. It's something we can't do on our own. This principle, loving completely, is the most important of the four principles we're going to talk about. Last week, live passionately. Today, love completely. Well, I tell you, this is, the, this is the most important one of all because it deals with relationships, which is what life is about. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How can you love other people? The power of God. How can you love the unlovely? The power of God. How can you love the irregular? The power of God. How can you love the jerks and the jerkettes, trying to be fair, in the power of God's love? Now, we all know it's not easy. It's a steep climb. If you're going to have great relationships, you have to take risks. It's going to cost you something. It's a steep climb. Whether it's a business partnership, a friendship, or a marriage, there's some mountains that we have to climb if we're going to have good relationships, if we're going to love completely. The first one is the mountain of misunderstanding. You know, most relationships don't go very far until they hit that mountain of misunderstanding and many times simply never get over that. I mean, everything started out so positive, so wonderfully, everything was great, and then wham, you hit that mountain of misunderstanding. And then all kind of things begin to, to happen. But let me tell you what happens when we, when we don't deal with that misunderstanding. Bitterness. Bitterness begins to control our heart. You see, there's, the Bible doesn't say we're not to get angry. 
Sometimes in, in relationships, and, and if you love deeply and if you care about people, some things are going to come up that's going to make you angry. And that's okay, the Bible says, as long as you handle that anger appropriately, that you, you're being angry but you're not sinning. So it's not anger that destroys relationships. It's unresolved anger that becomes bitterness. And bitterness literally circles a heart. And when that bitterness circles that heart, it kills that relationship every time. The mountain of misunderstanding. Have you allowed bitterness to come into your heart toward any person on this earth? Do you understand that when you do that, it hurts you even more than it hurts the other person? That it poisons your life? That it takes you down? If you want to have great relationships, you're going to have some misunderstandings. They're inevitable. But patiently work through them. It's worth it. Because if you just let that relationship linger there and you don't deal with those issues and it just gets worse and worse and every time you see them, your stomach turns inside and, and, and those, that anger turns to resentment and resentment to bitterness and bitterness to hate. And it'll destroy not only that relationship, but destroys your life. Second mountain is the mountain of me first. You can't build great relationships if you're tied up in yourself. Selfishness is a major problem in relationships. And we're all selfish by nature. But when you have an attitude of what can you do for me and that this relationship is all about me, you can't build a lasting relationship that way. That's not loving completely when, you, when it's all about you. See, the Bible says that we're loving completely. You put the other person first. You put the other person's needs before your own needs. You put the, your wife's needs before your needs. Your husband's needs before your needs. Your family's needs before your own needs. Meism will destroy a relationship. I heard about one man who was so selfish he won a trip for two to Hawaii, so he went twice. <laughs> so there are these three mountains that shape the, the landscape of every relationship misunderstanding, me first, and then mistakes. Mistakes. Do you understand that, that we are all just simply human beings and that we all make mistakes? And yet most relationships, they break, they come apart. They, they lose their value because somebody made a mistake. It this is not rocket science, folks. How many of you in this room have ever made a mistake? Would you be honest and just lift your hand? All right, that's, uh, that's all of us with about 10 liars. <laughs> we all make mistakes. And if we're going to build strong relationships, we have to give the other person 
the benefit of the doubt. Give them some room to make mistakes. Don't beat up on them. When they, if, if when your spouse makes a mistake, you say, ah. <laughs> Why? Because you're crazy to do that because day after next, you're going to make a mistake and your spouse is going to say, ah. And you play that game. So that's a mountain that we have to patiently work our way through if we're going to build lasting relationships. The misunderstanding and the me first and the mistakes. And when we talk about all this stuff, you say, well, you know, that just sounds like it's too much work. It's too much challenging. Listen to me. There are obstacles. There are mountains to climb. But there is nothing in this world that will give you greater meaning and more fulfillment than relationships, especially those with God and with your friends and with your family. And it's worth whatever price you have to pay. It's worth pushing those self-interest aside and working through those difficult peaks and making sure that you build a lasting relationship. And I'll be honest with you, building great relationships is not for wimps. You don't coast into great relationships. Somebody said, well, you know, I just don't have any real good relationships. <laughs> because you didn't do the work. You don't pay the price. But do you understand nothing is more important? Nothing will bring you greater fulfillment and meaning than relationships? So it's worth the effort. The Bible gives us some strategies for building these relationships and keeping these relational mountains small and where we can manage them and work through them. And actually see, when you've got a, a good solid relationship and you hit these bumps and these hills and these peaks and these mountains, when you work through them, the relationship is stronger. You have an even a greater relationship. The first strategy that the Bible gives us is the rope of acceptance. In order to pres preserve and improve our relationship, we connect with the rope of acceptance. Uh, there's a term in mountain climbing, and we've already decided none of you are climbers, but it's, the word is belaying, and it means that, that the rope has been secured, uh, it's been anchored, it's, been a, it's around cliques, it's, it's something that, is, that the climber feels totally secure, that he knows that if he falls, he will not fall off the rock, he will not fall too far. And so if we're going to climb mountains safely, we do it by connecting with the rope of acceptance. That means to build good relationships, you have to accept one another. Accept honestly one another. To really love people in your life, you have to be willing to work through all the mistakes and push away all the junk and the, the idiosyncrasies because we all have idiosyncrasies. We all have those quirks about us. You say, well, I don't. Well, you probably got a headache because your halo's too tight, but we're all like that. We all have those. So, and what we want to do is we want to be relationship police and we want to try to, you know, say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't have that idiosyncrasy. You can't have that quirk. You can't be that way. And what we, what we set out to do is we try to make other people like we are. Wouldn't that be terrible if everybody in the world was just like you or me or Kenny? 
we'd all be tired. <laughs> but, but you see, it's not like that at all. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Can I tell you that in God's eyes, you are a mess? In God's eyes, you are a rotten sinner? And yet he accepts you? So just as Christ accepted you when you brought your mess to him, we are to accept other people in order to bring praise to God. This is especially true in marriage. One of the keys to a good marriage is to accept your mate for who your mate is. Stop trying to change your mate. You're to cherish your mate, and you can't cherish your mate and try to change your mate at the same time. You accept your mate. Don't don't try to make your husband another version of you. Don't try to make your wife another version of you. That, That simply will not work. So what we need is is to to work at understanding each other and accepting each other. Now, here's some good news, men. You don't have to fully understand your wife to cherish her. In fact, the man that says he can understand his wife will lie about other things. If you're going to understand women, there are two things that you need to know. And I don't have a clue what either one of them are. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So let me give you some simple things here that, uh, that will help. Really simple things because women, men are simple. Very simple. You, you knew that, didn't you? Number 10. We're going to go 10 down. Ladies, if something we said can be interpreted two ways and one of those ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other one. (laughs) Simple. Number nine, learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. Simple. (laughs) Number eight, we probably are not thinking of you at all. Live with it. Number seven, when we have to go somewhere, absolutely anything you wear is fine. Believe me, it's fine. Number six, come to us with a problem only if you want help solving it because that's what we do. We fix things. We solve problems. Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for. Number five. Whenever possible, say anything you need to say during commercials. (laughs) Number four, Christopher Columbus didn't need directions and neither do we. (laughs) Number three, if it itches, it will be scratched. We do that. It's no big deal. (laughs) Number two, we're not mind readers and we never will be. Our lack of mind reading ability is not proof of how little we care about you. We do a lot of other things to prove how little we care. (laughs) 
And then number one, the simple things that we wish women would understand about us is that if we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing is wrong. (laughs) We know you're lying, but it's just not worth the hassle. Now I'm going to go the other direction. I gave Lee the opportunity to come up here and take the other side. And so I'll just do it for, for her. When a man says, hey, can I help you with dinner, honey? What he really means is, so why isn't dinner already on the table? And when a man says, uh-huh, and sure, and honey, or yes, dear, what he really means is absolutely nothing. That's just a conditioned response that he just says when there's nothing else going on in his head. And by the way, you know, men, they think in boxes and, uh, you know, straight lines where women are spiral, spaghetti kind of thing. Uh, But you need to understand with men that sometimes he has some empty boxes. Because when you ask a man, honey, what are you thinking about? And he says nothing. That could really be true. When a man says, take a break, honey, you're just working too hard, what he means is, could you please stop the vacuum cleaner? I can't hear the game. (laughs) And when a man says, well, that's interesting, dear, what he really means is, are you still talking? (laughs) And when a man says, I can't find it, what he means is, it didn't fall into my outstretched hands and therefore I'm clueless. But here's the point. To build great relationships, ladies go to school on men in general and on your husband in particular. And then men, you go to school on women in general and on your wife in particular. Lee and I have found that if we keep trying to understand each other, even though God made us different, have you noticed God made us so different? I mean, this is why relationships are so difficult is because we're all so different. How, let me just ask, since we're just home this morning, let me ask you, how many of you married someone that now you discover is really not like you? Let me see your hands. Isn't that something? Almost everybody in the room raised their hand except those women that the men punched. And said, don't raise your hand. You see, we, we marry opposites. of those who come to me for marriage counseling before marriage are opposites. Opposites attract, and then they attack. (laughs) So you have to to work on this thing. But you can greatly improve your marriage if if you keep trying to understand each other, even though you're so different. Try to understand where the other person is coming from. Empathy is one of the greatest things in marriage where you try to walk in that other person's shoes. And here's what I, I found. And I know this is true with Lee. If she knows I'm trying to understand, then I'm connecting with her. I'm, I'm in the game. I'm on, I'm on the right page if I'm trying to understand. In Genesis 2.25, we see a picture of acceptance. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's a picture of intimacy, which is what every couple wants in marriage, and yet that only comes when there is 
love and understanding. Here the man and wife had no barriers. Both felt safe and they could be themselves. Both felt accepted for who they are with with no strings attached, no hoops to jump through. That is a key to building a great marriage is accepting one another and not trying to remake the person that you fell in love with. Intimacy, that word, it it really means this, in to me you see. Intimacy. And listen to me, the only way that you're going to open the shutters of who you really are, the only way you're going to open the shutters of your life and let somebody see deep within your soul, you're going to have to feel that you are loved and accepted and secure. But that's the kind of relationship we all want. And it carries a heavy price tag, but the dividends are well worth it. Don't ever stop trying to understand each other and accept each other immediately. And give yourself to unselfishly meeting the needs of your mate. That's, what a, that's a good definition for love. Meeting, unselfishly meeting the needs of an imperfect person. That's love. And both husband and wife should be able to say, I love you, period. Not I love you if, if he love. You can't build a great relationship on if he love. Conditional love. I love you if you'll change. I love you if you'd be more like me. I'll love you if you do this or that. No, you need to be able to say, I love you, period. No strings attached, no conditions, no hoops to jump through. I love you. And then there's consideration. And then there's cooperation. I wish we had time to talk more about these, let me talk about cooperation. John 13, 4, he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew he had one month to live, and what did he do? He showed his disciples the full extent of his love. He did something that a servant would do. Do you understand when you love completely, you have a servant's heart, you're willing to serve? And he washed the the feet of his disciples. God in human flesh, stooping down and taking on the role of a servant and washing feet. Many married couples, instead of serving and cooperating, they are competing. It's always competing with each other. I'll do my part, you do your part. Marriage is a 50-50 relationship. Marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. Marriage is 100% on both sides. If you want a great marriage, it's probably 110%. 110% give. And we don't compete with each other. We're both willing to do what we are expected and above what we're expected. The Bible says when two people are married, that they become one. I know some argue over which one. But becoming one means that we cooperate with each other. Women, don't, don't shoot down all the plans of your husband. You'll destroy that relationship, even if some of the plans are kind of crazy. 
Tell God on him. Listen with understanding and, and manage to, to, to cooperate. You know, these, these things that give love traction because that's, uh, that's what we want in a relationship. That's what a mountain climber wants. He wants to have a sure foot. It's so important that, well, he, he can't climb that mountain unless he is able to have that traction. And uh, there are things that, that we do to get traction in these relationships. And consideration and cooperation and commitment are three of those. Let me say a word about commitment because, by the way, it's the final four if you're not watching that. And the, uh, I don't know how you could have watched last night with uh, that uh, North Carolina game. Uh, but Lee and I always watch the final four, and we like basketball. We wait till they get down, you know, toward the Sweet 16 and wait down toward the end because we, we like basketball. We don't, not, you know controlled by it in any way and uh, we do miss a few games but there's a coach John Wooden who some believe is the greatest coach in American sports and he won 10 NCAA basketball championships at UCLA 10 nobody has ever done that he won 88 straight games nobody has ever done that he was a man of incredible discipline. I mean incredible discipline. He, had, he was old school, and he had all these rules and regulations, and, and the guys, you know, they griped and complained. But what he would say, discipline yourself and others won't have to. But if you don't discipline yourself, I am here for you, and I will. And one of his rules that drove all the players bonkers was no long hair and no facial hair. Well, one day, All-American center Bill Walton came in the door sporting a full beard. And the coach uh, looked at him, and Walton said, it's my right, coach. And the coach says, do you believe that strongly? He said, I believe it strongly. He said, well, I admire anybody who knows what they believe stands on what they believe, stand by it. Go clean out your locker. We'll miss you around here. Well, Walton shaved immediately and still today calls his coach about once a week to tell him he loves him. Wooden is almost 90, and on the 21st day of this month, he will do what he always does, he will write a love note to his wife and tell her how much he misses her, how much he loves her, how that he can't wait to see her. And then he'll fold it once and he'll put it into an envelope and he'll walk into the bedroom. And there on her side of the bed, on her pillow, is a stack of envelopes tied with a yellow ribbon. And he unties that yellow ribbon and he puts that last, that new letter on top of that stack. The stack is now 180 letters high because the 21st will be 15 years to the day 
that his beloved wife of 53 years died. In her memory, he sleeps on his side of the bed, never on her side, only on his pillow, only on top of the sheets, never between, with just the old bedspread that he and his wife got warmth from. When I read that story, I thought that is a great, great illustration of the lasting commitment that ought to be in a relationship as sacred and special as the marriage relationship. Commitment. Not just consideration, and consideration needs to be there. Show consideration. Not just cooperation. There needs to be oneness. But for a relationship to be good, especially for a marriage to be good, there has to be a solid commitment. There was a man who showed up at a nursing home every day to spend hours with his wife. His wife had Alzheimer's, and she was in the last stages and didn't know him anymore. And some days she would be rude and and ugly to him, and she, she wouldn't let him touch her in any way. Other days he could do her hair and do things for her, but he came every day, and he stayed there for hours. One day the head nurse met him at the door and said, Come into my office. He went into the office and she said to him, every nurse in this building wants a husband like you. We're all impressed with the love that you have for your wife and that you come every day. But sir, your wife doesn't even know you come. And I know you have other things to do and you come anytime you want to come, but please don't think that you have to come every day. We're going to take care of your wife. Tears started down his cheeks, and he said, I hear what you're saying, and I know that she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. She is my wife. And 50 years ago, I made a covenant that I would stand with her in sickness and in health, and I'm going to keep that covenant. That's the kind of commitment that takes a marriage to another level. Philippians 2, 3, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. You see, all these things we're talking about, you've got to have supernatural help to pull it off. I mean, you can't be unselfish. You can't show the consideration, the cooperation, the commitment. You can't give that unqualified acceptance on your own because we're all basically selfish and we have that sinful nature. So if we're going to build these kind of relationships, we need to start understanding that we can't do it ourselves. We need supernatural power. And that's exactly what God promises for us. With that rope of acceptance when we gain traction, and how do you gain traction? By doing loving actions for your mate, for your friends. Those little love gifts, those surprises that gives you traction in that relationship. And then overcoming the obstacles. How do you you overcome these obstacles? By accepting them for who they are, by doing loving things for them, 
by being committed to them. But there's another one that's very, very important. And that's to be tethered by forgiveness. You know, I said earlier that we are all sinful human beings and we're all selfish people and we, we have to have help or we're going to be we're going to mess up all our relationships. And if you're going to have good relationships, you have to have a good memory and a good forgetter, both. You, marriage calls for an inexhaustible forgiveness. Inexhaustible. I was preaching up in Oklahoma, and a pastor told me the story in his church family where a lady, always faithful to her husband, somehow got emotionally involved with another man and decided to meet that man at a motel. And she took off her wedding rings and left them on the sink before she went to that motel. They found her at that motel dead. And that husband had to go claim her body. And that pastor who was telling this story at her funeral and he said when the husband came down to the casket, he bent over her and kissed her and says, I love you. I'll always love you. And he reached in his pocket and he got out those wedding rings and he slipped them on her fingers and said, I forgive you and I love you. Now that, that is a forgiveness that I believe can only come with the supernatural power of God. And someone who dies to self and lets God be God so that no matter what the brokenness, what the sin, what the mistake, that you choose to forgive and continue to love. It's God who gives us the power to forgive. And we understand it by looking at the cross. Because the cross is about how much God loves us. And he loves us enough that he forgives us of every sin we've ever committed. He forgives us of the sins of our past and the sins that we might do in the future. He was dying for all of those sins on the cross. And it is in the power of the cross that we can forgive our mate our loved one, our friends, when they let us down, when they make mistakes. Because you're not going to get through this life without people hurting you in relationships. It's going to come. You're going to have a broken heart of relationships. But God can salvage the most broken of relationships. If two people are willing and two people can forgive and two people will stay committed they can conquer that mountains. But it means we got to lay down our lives, lay down the selfishness, our wants sometimes and our desires, how we wanted it to be in order for it to become what it can become. Love one another. Love completely. Love especially those closest to you. Love God with your whole heart. And you know, I want our church to be that kind of church that we would love completely. That when you come into this room, you feel love. 
not, not that we're perfect, and there may be somebody who wants to join this church this morning, and I want you to join, but I want you to know that we're not a perfect church, and we don't have a perfect pastor. So you need to know that. But I think we're going in the right direction. I think we're working at this thing called the Christian faith. I think we're wanting to be a church of love where we love one another, all one another's. And I hope that's what you want for your life. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 